Okay, are we ready? Are we in business? Okay, welcome everyone. We have the meeting. This is our uh, February meeting of the Education and Environmental Advisory Committee. And uh, our first item, as always, is to call the meeting to order, which I am doing right now. And I would like to ask us all to rise and cite the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. And now our next item, and uh, I uh, just as a, a brief aside, we have uh, Irene here uh, uh, visiting us. Uh, or not visiting, I guess she will be a regular member here yes. to take the minutes and uh, she has stated that as they do at many of the other meetings uh, she could call the roll or and uh, call the, I guess just call the roll uh, call the roll, call the votes if you want on the voting items um, the reason I'm here is to uh, make the minutes more efficient and to get those done in a more timely manner. Um, and although you shouldn't see a difference, you still vote at it the next meeting. And to aid Mr. Sy and Beth, um, if there were any questions as to procedure, um, I could advise. Okay. So why don't we, uh, let, let's just go through our regular procedure this month, think about it, and we'll decide at the beginning of uh, next month's meeting if what we want to do, if have Ms. Uh, uh, Schaefer uh, uh, call the roll. The reason why we can't start with this meeting, call the roll. Okay, and everybody uh, good with that? I mean, uh, yes. it's, uh, okay, why don't we go ahead and do that then. Irene? Okay, Glenn Hartlow. Present. Edward Byer. Here. Jeffrey Sy. Here. Robert Knapp. Here. Robin Mackler. Here. Mr. Chair, we have a quorum. Thank you. Okay, that's official. Let's go. Let's go on to the next item, which are the minutes. The meeting minutes of the January 23rd meeting of the Beautification Environmental Advisory Committee, where we met next door. Uh, everybody look over the minutes. The minutes, uh, they seem to be in order. Uh, anybody have any questions, comments, or thoughts or ideas on the, the minutes? Make a motion to approve as uh, recorded. Okay. Second. We have a motion by Bob and seconded by Ed. Uh, any further discussion? All those in favor of approving the minutes? Aye. 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 Minutes are approved. Okay, let's move right along. Old business. We have the election of a vice chair. So, now, last month we thought we were asked by Glenn to think about it uh, for a month, especially Robin, our new member. Has everyone thought about it? And what do we think? Uh, we have any uh, nominees? Any nominees? <coughs> like thoughts on that? I'd like to nominate Ed for the vice chair. Well, I'd like to nominate Robin. Okay, well, can you let's what let's elaborate on that so we can uh, those are two good uh, nominations. Uh, what do you think? Well, Ed? I think 
Uh, Robin, now, is, I know she's new here, but she has a, uh, a good background. She's a um, member of the, aren't you a member of the Garden Club? Or, uh, I was. I'm yes, uh-huh. Yeah, but, but I'm a member of the Art League. And well. the Art League, yes. Yeah. So maybe uh, she comes to us with uh, more of uh, information and uh, expertise that we could use uh, some fresh ideas and so forth. So, that was my thought. Okay, well that's a good one. Yeah. Robin, how do you feel about I don't think that I'm ready for that position right now. Okay. okay. So thank you. That is yeah. a decline. So, Bob, what do you think? <coughs> well, sure. I think good. Yes. I know Glenn's already done it and he doesn't particularly care to, to do it again. Uh, Ed is the next most senior member of our organization, and I think that it should fall upon him uh, if he would like to do it. Okay. Now, it's, it's not a job that is a very uh, difficult or possibly even an, a job that will be you will be doing because I. My plan is to be here every every month at the meeting. I mean, we meet one day a month. Uh, I I think I can work my schedule. So, Jeffrey, how's your health? My health is. I <laughs> <laughs> health, I think, is. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. With that in so, mind, I would I would uh, accept it uh, on, uh, on that basis. Okay. So we have a nominee of Ed. Uh, do we want to? Uh, what do we have to do? Oh, there it is. Oh. Do we need, is it a motion? Uh, he needs to say that as a motion, I would like to nominate um, Ed, Ed, Ed Meyer for okay. vice chair, and somebody needs to second. I second that. Okay. okay, the motion has been made by Bob, and the motion seconded by Robin. And uh, any further comments or thoughts of uh, Ed being the vice chair? Other than that, Let's vote on it. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Okay. Just for the record, you should say any uh, nays, any noes. Oh. oh. Well, everybody's well, unanimous. So. You can't tell on the day. Oh. Okay. Thank you for that. That's a good uh, parliamentary procedures. A little uh, footnote. Any nays? Hearing none, the motion carries. Motion carries. Congratulations, okay. Ed. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and now uh, let's go forward with our next item, and it's a very relevant item. And Paul, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, nice to see you again. <coughs> Glad to see you here. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I, you know, I neglected to mention to you that this month's meeting was going to be in this room. Have you been <laughs> walking <laughs> around? I've been around. I should have mentioned it, uh, but it would be back to it. This is our regular uh, meeting environment. Uh, usually these panels are open to allow for more public uh, participation, <laughs> but uh, now that they're closed for an activity, the city will be doing. But anyway, good to see you, and let's go on to the next item, which is the pollution of the cows. The canals in Palm Coast, and that's our. Uh, I have the presentation on that. Correct. Yes. Okay, great. Okay, this is where we stand right now. Last week, last month, 
was the freshwater canals. Now we're going to the saltwater canals. Okay, next. These are some facts of the saltwater canals. Now, maybe we can take a moment here and introduce Don to the group because possibly we can, just to verify some of my facts, you're the you're the authority. This is Don Schrager. Why don't you introduce yourself, Don? Yes, I'm Don Schrager. I'm the uh, stormwater operations manager. I've actually been with the city since 2005 and involved in the maintenance of the stormwater system and the canals for freshwater and saltwater. So this is the man. Okay, so let's go down the line. 23 miles of saltwater canals. Are we correct on that? Yes. <laughs> Okay, next. Most of all of the homes are built with bulkheads, so there is no city-owned easement? Uh, no, on saltwater canals, it, just like any other residential property, uh, your property line ends roughly where the bulkhead is, and there's a, there's always a five-foot blanket utility easement around all of, all of the properties, not just saltwater canals. But yes, it's all encompassed within your law. Okay, I have a question, and uh, we could about our the freshwater canals. What is the distance from the water up that is owned by the city? Because you see the lots being cleared; they're never cleared all the way to the by the developer. People come in afterward and do their do clearing. So, could you? Um, it varies. We actually, the majority of lots, um, we usually throw a number of around 30 feet, um, but our our canals are varying sizes, so not all of them have that much area. Uh, property lines typically stop short of the water's edge, and it's usually at the top of the embankment, where the slope starts. But we have a few situations where the property actually extends into the water. And in those cases, we would have a, an easement. It's still your property, but we have an easement so we can actually access it and maintain the canals and do whatever we have to do. You have, it's just like an easement uh, yep. to, to, like the utility income for yes. that type of thing. But in most of the situations, there is a actual parcel of city-owned land. Yes. On the on the okay. Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah. All of our canals sit on a on a parcel. It's actually considered right away, and water tends to move, so they do meander a little bit, and some of them are actually very wide. So over the years, they've progressed so that property line is now within the water and not up on the embankment. Uh, it's, okay. But you, you are correct. Typic, the typical uh, lot in Palm Coast stops short and yeah. has a, a roughly 30 feet, or rule of thumb is usually where the, the slope the down to the water starts, is oh, typically okay. where the uh, front end is. I have a question about this. Getting back to the salt water with the bulkheads, does that criteria you mentioned apply to uh, gated communities as well? You mentioned that. Uh, the criteria goes up to the bulkhead. What was that? Mean? Oh, for non-gated communities or non-developed individual communities. Well, how about um, gated communities? Well, gated communities. We have several that are up, that are on saltwater canals. Yeah, I live in Grand Haven. Right, and that's, uh, those are typically a little different. The ones that are actually just in the city and are on city roads, and they're just a typical platted lot for the city 
are what I was talking about because they're just a parcel within the city and all of our parcels have just a five foot access and utility easement around them. But other than that, but private communities do not have to do that because typically those roads are not ours. Grand Haven, those roads do not belong to us. Neither does the stormwater system. So there's actually no need for us to have an easement. We do have some easements through some of these communities for specific purposes. Utilities will have an easement so they can run a line down through and maintain it. But yeah, a lot of times we do not. Okay, very good question. And if you have a question, you can pull up your survey of your property and your survey will show if there's any easements on or should show if there's any easements on your property. Thank you, very good. Okay, let's go. The canals, most of the canals or the canals are tidal and they're fed by the intercoastal waterway. Next, please. Okay, this is one of the homes that we were looking at when I went with Mr. Pritchard on a boat ride on the 12th. With a bulkhead, okay. Now, you see the lot next to that previous one that hasn't been developed. When that lot is done, there'll be a bulkhead put in. We have some further on pictures of that. I bet. Well, this is a home without a bulkhead. Right. That canal. Right, the code allows for some other than a bulkhead. It's considered just you have to armor the embankment. So people, we have some that are coquina rock and some other types of armament to protect it from erosion. Once you develop a lot, you have to protect a lot from erosion. So you have to do something to protect it. Probably 99% of them put a bulkhead up. Okay, next. This is the vacant lot with the canal home next to it. So before they're, when they're vacant, there's no regulation. You're not required to do it, but this is actually a very good picture. That property line, the vacant lot actually extends out to where that bulkhead is. And over the years, it has eroded back that, excuse me, that other piece of the seawall is typically about 10 feet long. So there's about 10 feet of that property that has over the years eroded into the canal. Now we're talking 40 some odd years. That doesn't happen overnight, but yeah. Okay, next, please. Okay, this is another vacant lot that we're looking at. And beautiful trees, but it's a vacant lot. That lot's called a hub or something, or do they call that, where it goes around? See how it goes around? That used to be a high cost lot from IPT, but it's called a point lot. Point lot? You're going to call it a point lot? Paul's lot is like that. His lot is like that. Yeah, we usually just refer to them as end lots, the ones that are just around the corner. What happens when the development occurs is like you see on the left. All those trees will be taken down. All those trees. It's beautiful, but... I'm sorry. Sir, for the record, could you just say who you are? I sure can. I'm Paul Pritchard. I'm a resident of C-section, and I'll give you my card. No, that's okay. It's just for the recording. Sure. Thank you. Okay, very good. Next. 
And this is a photograph I just put together of the saltwater canal system that shows a lot of homes. A lot of lots. And the next picture. Now, if we can see it there, there's the intercoastal, that wide area. It's the same area in the one little feeder. Do you have a pointer, Beth? Can you look at that? Yeah, doesn't work on there. Oh. You can use this is actually the intercoastal? There's the intercoastal right there, and, the in, and there's the feeder. That's, thank you. And that's the, uh, and that's where the, uh, that, uh, that's where the influx goes, and so you can see that there's so many homes hooked up to that. It, it's impossible to, for there to be any inflow and outflow of the uh, materials that are uh, being deposited, say, in the uh, in the uh, saltwater canals all along there. And I think that's one of the, the that's one of the problems that I think we have to look at. Uh, okay, let's go to the next one. So, I, I just presented this on a general sense. It's somewhat the same as the, uh, the, the freshwater canals, maybe not to the extent, but uh, some of the issues are uh, pretty much the same, the pesticides, the fertilizers. Okay, next. Uh, this is a, a little diagram in my readings about the deteriorating bulkheads. And it shows some of the signs of uh, a bulkhead uh, uh, getting old and deteriorating. And you can see that uh, uh, cracks and uh, depressions and uh, pockets, cavities, uh, a number of things show that the bulkheads are getting old and are deteriorating. And next. So when that happens, the soils from the yards leach in soils with the pesticides and fertilizers ends up as a muck bed in the canals. And this is an example, if you look on that picture, uh, right by the two, two things, the bulkhead to the right, all the way to the right you can see where it's, it's deteriorating, it's chipping away, uh, that's one thing. And then if you see where the bulkhead has dropped, mm. And you can see the lawn is picked up over, and then right there where Beth is, has the arrow is that, that depression that was just in the diagram that we were looking at. So that's a bulkhead that's having a little troubles. Okay, next. Next shows, this is the uh, condoms that are over there uh, by, uh, what is it, Palm Harbor? Uh, is that the road that they're on? Yeah, right, they back up to the canal, and. and you probably know about this, and uh, that their bulkhead is being repaired and replaced right now. Is that correct? Uh, uh, I believe they are. Okay. Are already? I, I'm not sure. Well, I'm this was a, we took this picture on uh, February 12th, so that was uh, not too long ago. Yeah, it shows that they're working on it. Well, and, and again, this is private property, so the city doesn't have anything to do. I just happen to know a lot of the contractors yes. and everything else, so I know this was actually going around. But, um, right. I heard I, from what I heard, I thought they were already under contract or negotiating a contract with somebody. Okay, next. So now these are just some issues that I gleaned from the literature. It talks about pollution loading of canals, sewage seepage, lawn fertilizers. Maybe there's not as much of that in other areas where they may have 
uh, septic uh, situations. Uh, oil and gas from boats, parking lots, prevent and land airs, pollution, rainwaters drain directly into the canal systems. Inadequate flushing, this is what I was speaking about, the title, and the fact that there's one inflow and one outflow for all those homes, all those canals, it, it's just impossible to flush it out. I would say, uh, yeah, there's, there's very little flushing action. When you go, the deeper you go in, the, the canal ends, especially is where it's most noticeable, the tide will push into the end of the canal. And you the end, end of the canal. Yeah, and you end up seeing buildup at the end of the canal. Instead mm -hmm. of typically it's supposed to be four feet from the top of the cap to the uh, bottom of the canal um, on, a, on a bulkhead. And you'll see them all at two feet because just over the years, sediment has pushed in, sand has pushed in, especially during storms. Yes. Things get moved, but then there's not enough, there's not enough withdrawal from it. One thing I'd like to add to this, um, you like septic seepage, we don't have septic systems, so it would be a very, very rare occurrence that any, we would get any uh, sanitary. Uh, lawn fertilizers <coughs> are actually more of a problem, and so is like lawn clippings, mm -hmm. organic matter. Yes. Most of the canal lots are on a hill, and people tend to fertilize first time it rains, get much more flushing action. There's very, in a regular lot that's adjacent to a freshwater canal, those lots are typically very flat. But if, you know, uh, saltwater canal homes are typically raised several feet. So you, have, you tend to have a greater slope. So when water starts running down, it just takes all of those things with it. Grass clippings are actually one of the worst for salt water, uh, freshwater but they have the same effect in salt water. They deteriorate very quickly, they cause algae, they just break down very, very fast. Um, and the other thing is, um, we are very trying, we are as active as we can be about illicit discharge. <coughs> Anything that goes into a stormwater system that is not stormwater is considered an illicit discharge. And that includes saltwater canals. So we get calls, people's boats, you know, you see the oil sheen. Yeah. Um, and one of the biggest calls we get from people when uh, somebody has to drain water out of their pool and they will drain directly into the canal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times this is just a lack of education. So we, we have inspectors that go out and explain to people you can't just directly pump water into your canal. Um, where where do they pump it? You, you can do it. You can... You can pump the water out onto your lawn and let it flush through your lawn first because it will take a lot of that sediment and chemical out of it before it actually gets to the water. Um, we've had people directly discharging into swales, which is also not kosher because it, then it, it, it has a direct line to our freshwater canals and even into the saltwater canals. So if you ever have to flush out your pool or drain some of the water out of your pool, Stop it 10, 20 feet short and just let it flush through the, through the lawn first. And again, we, we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one education with people when we, when we see these things. Yeah. Um, and on occasion, you'll actually see down, people will pipe their downspouts and you'll see the pipe coming up and over the bulkhead. It's taking all the pollutants from your roof directly in. Um, it's virtually impossible for us to police, but uh, we have on occasion you know, when somebody, somebody calls, we explain to people, and most people are very, very good about it, and they will take them up and have them discharge 
you can go to Home Depot and <coughs> pop up box and they mm -hmm. pop up 10 feet up into their yard and let the water disperse over the yard first. At least it takes the roof debris and everything else out of the water before it goes in the solar canal. I, I think we have seen that out there. Just what he's saying about the pipe going over mm -hmm. the bulkhead mm -hmm. into the water. Mm -hmm. That's correct. We, we saw that. Oh my goodness. Wow. I have a question. Uh, is there any testing of the uh, chemical constituents in fresh and salt water canals by the city? We do not. Uh, currently, we don't test for either. For a very long time, we tested freshwater canals. Um, I only know of one instance where we tested saltwater canals. There was actually a fish kill many years ago. Um, so we tested to see what, what it was for, and it was just a natural occurrence. Um, <coughs> it was a storm and some... Uh, I guess the theory is that the some more oxygen water came in to the end of, end of the canals and just basically killed off the fish at that end of the canal. Um, but there's nothing harmful in the water. We are actively, we have an MS4 permit, which is actually a, a state permit for our stormwater system. We're in the early stages of it. And uh, the next stage, every stage is a, a five-year program. We just completed our first one, second stage, we have to start working on a water quality arm of this. So we're actually looking into putting together a water sampling program. Okay. Um, but we have to, we're, we're still trying to figure out what we have to sample for and where we have to sample. Um, can't sample everywhere. The, the biggest thing with the MS4 permit is the water that leaves the city has to be clean. So, and if the water is not clean, we have to do something to clean it before it leaves the city. So, we know we'll test at least our outfall points outside of the city, but we want to try to go above and beyond that and check some other spots. I mean, just trying to determine what we're going to test for. Well, it's, it's reasonably obvious what you're going to have to test for. Nitrates, phosphates. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For some, for some basics. Yeah. I mean, you can get yeah. a you can get a laundry list of what you want to test for. So, uh, yeah, trying to determine what and the the key is what is the state looking for? You know, so we make sure we actually hit their criteria. And what we yeah, do with the data? I mean, you, enforcement is is nil, and I understand why. Is, yeah. But so you'll get wonderful data, perhaps. Sure. But well, so what? But okay. maybe that'll drive something, uh, and that's the idea. If, uh, if we yeah. if we have a testing point here, and we have whatever the issue is, something trips the threshold, we can start sampling back and mm -hmm. find out where. Basically, you go to where water starts coming into it, uh -huh. into that canal, and you keep testing back to where you find where it's coming from, and you can actually follow. You can follow the pollutant train back. Oh, sure. And then and then you can take enforcement action. First, you have to find out what the cause is. Uh -huh. yeah. Fecal coliform is always a big one. Um, right. And if you test for some of these natural areas, not necessarily the city's fault because we don't have septic systems that discharge into the water, but if it goes to a natural area and there's a mercury, you're going to have fecal coliform in the water. But as far as the state's concerned, it's those possums. You know, they don't no, cause care where they are. Yeah. We, and we, <laughs> we have a very healthy wildlife around here. So, it is entirely possible farmland actually has uh, problems with this. Of course, you know, cows, cows and horses and whatever else you got wandering around, you get some rainfall and it leaches into the system.
we don't have those issues in Pompos. Every, every time we've tested the water, we are well below any threshold. That's good to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. We, we take a lot of, we, we spend a lot of energy trying to, uh, and I've given presentations on our canal uh, maintenance in the past. We try to, we have a very delicate balance between aesthetics, the ecosystem, and function. So we, in very fine lines, divide each one. So we don't have a, I explained to somebody, we do not have a weed eradication program. We have a weed control program. We, we keep the center open for function, but we allow vegetation to grow to keep the ecosystem healthy. Mm-hmm. So, and it's always that, how much is too much vegetation in the water? We have residents that don't want any, mm-hmm. and that's just not feasible. Of course. Mm-hmm. We don't want to sterilize. We, we don't want to sterilize a water body, any water body. When, when you said that uh, people have to uh, protect their uh, their land from erosion in a saltwater situation. Um, how far does that go once you once you look at how many bulkheads have deteriorated? Do you let the homeowner know that they're going to have to take action? That has been a, a very hot point debated. Um, we could take code enforcement action, but how do you take code enforcement action to go up to somebody and say you have to put in a $50,000 bulkhead? Politically, it's not good. It's not, of course. I don't want to say it's not fair, but um, yeah, for the last year or two, that's actually been a debate on what do we do about this. And, uh, and in the end, they're not the city's. They're not the city's bulkheads. All of those bulkheads belong to private property owners. The city actually only owns uh, 24, 24 spots that are canal, basically the canal ends. So, so, so the regulation to... about preventing erosion yeah. is not... We could enforce it. It, 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 it is, it's enforceable. It's not gonna be very popular. So it, it, it's a very fine line. Uh, it's enforceable, but not enforced. I guess that's it. Yeah. If you want to get technical about it, yes. So you can't demand a bulkhead, but could you demand coquina? But you won't. There, there's, a, there's a lot. And, and this is actually absolutely not my area of expertise. Uh-huh. Um, this is a code enforcement issue. Sure. And, uh, and it actually becomes a city council issue. How, how do they want to proceed with doing it? And uh, several options have been discussed, and uh, none of them are good. Uh-huh. They all have to, they all have their cons. They they really do. So uh, yeah, I'm only on the fringe of that discussion. Just yeah, I don't know what I would do if I was told I needed to spend tens of thousands for a bulkhead that seemed just okay to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and who makes that judgment call? Who makes a judgment call that says it's bad enough? Yeah, point at me. But is it a structural issue? Is it an environmental issue? Mm-hmm. Is it an aesthetic issue? Ouch. Mm. So who's the one to say mm-hmm. you have to replace yours, but you do not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what the penalties will be for not 
taking that action. Yes, Paul, you're a resident over there. What do you think? I'm wondering if we're not going from one extreme to the other. A lot of the bulkheads have a few holes, whatever, and you can see as the photos show water behind. Wouldn't it be appropriate to have an education program in the meantime while you're trying to figure out how to enforce it to tell people these things? Because I live there. I've never seen anyone. I don't know. Is there anybody other than yourself who is involved in this? We actually do public outreach. That topic does not come up very often. We do more one-on-one. People will actually call us. I have three inspectors that work with me and a couple of other staff members as well. Somebody will call and say, I have a hole behind my sinkhole. Usually the conversation starts at a sinkhole in my backyard. And you go out and it's just an older bulkhead that has some kind of crack in it or wear. And we explain to them how they're supposed to work. Every seawall is supposed to be able to weep water to take the water pressure away. But water is supposed to be able to come in and out. It's supposed to be able to hold the dirt back. So these guys will explain to them some repair options. There's several different ways you could do it. And most of them are just minor issues. You can drive around, go around, and you can see some that are obviously just completely failed. But most, there's just a little hole somewhere. You can simply dig it up, put some filter fabric down, some rock behind it, put some dirt over it, and it'll be good for years. I would think that if someone, and all of these things are highly visible in a boat, it's not like you have to walk down to the museum. It's like just identifying the homes and then saying the notes, saying we can be of help to you and how to plug up a few of the holes. A point lock right next to us, I think the total cost was about $10,000 for a new bulkhead. I've never heard of anybody paying $50,000 or anything over $10,000 to $15,000. But I think that's a last resort, don't you? Well, it depends on how bad it is. Sometimes they're just structurally not sound enough to repair. It's like your car. You have a nail in your tire. You can actually plug it. You get a blowout. You're not going to plug it. You're going to have to fix it. But that would be up to the property owner, you're saying, because you all are not going to enforce anything to tell them they have to do something. So it would seem like what we're missing is an education, not just a reactive program, but one that gets the word out through next door and the communities. I've been having this discussion as way back as when Marinette was in. He was very much an advocate for this issue and the issue of having vacant lots next to the developed home and the erosion issue that happens with those. And it's been going on since he was mayor. Lots of good ideas, lots of good options. And like I said, they all have their very definite cons. We'll do along with them. So isn't it possible for the city to contact, in a general mail, all the homes that are on a saltwater canal 
and make an announcement that there will be two or three workshops to help homeowners understand their options for repair or replacement. That would probably be a good option. Education is actually a very good deterrent for a lot of these things. Because like I said, my guys go out and do a lot of one-on-one. And once things are explained to people, like the light bulb goes off, it's like, oh, well, that's easy. I'll just, it's just part of my home, my property maintenance. Well, maybe, you know, you could gather your community together and create a workshop in the community center. That's right down the street from, basically that's close to you in the community center. And that's where you could have that for his community. You know what I mean? And you're talking about his community. That's it. You're talking about that. Does the city have the resources to contact the people that have saltwater canals? Live on the saltwater canals? Of course you could. I don't know. Yes, you could. Of course. It's the addresses. The actual physical address. There it is. All those folks. You know where the canals are. I'd like the city to send a flyer and then organize a... Organize a workshop? Organize several dates for workshops. That's an interesting concept. I make a motion to that effect. Well, a lot of times it's up to the community. Like you don't have a newsletter that goes around your community or anything like that. Well, the city has an excellent newsletter that they online. Oh, well, yeah, that's right. There also is a next door column. I think a single individual is not going to give much of a turnout. I think it's got to come from the city and sound like a... You know, it is educational. I think a physical flyer in a mailbox would do wonders. Yeah. As opposed to maybe have it online, and if I decided to try to find it online. Right. Well, sometimes grassroots campaigns like this are almost more effective than the municipality. Because it almost sounds like somebody's going to get in trouble when it comes from the city. But if you have an organization like yourselves that that reach out to people, we've just found that trying to do outreach for stormwater, people get a little apprehensive from us. So we're just going to spread the word out. Word spreads pretty quickly, and people come. We do one. There's a few people. People see what it's all about. Then when we do it, the next one, they tell. Like the old shampoo commercials, they tell two friends, they tell two friends, and so on. So it just kind of grows. I would think people would. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. I would think that if the beautification committee were to host some workshops on maintenance of your seawall, there'd be a lot of interest in that, and then having city officials have the experts come in and talk about what needs to be done. It would be a sponsorship, say, by the beautification committee. I think people would be impressed if there was that sort of concern in the area. Paul, could you get yourself and a few others and have a committee and get that gathered, get all the information out, and we'll host it at the community center, and then you would have something like that? I'm happy to help in any way I can. I'm not an authority in this area, so I think... No, I don't want to just... Yeah, the meeting 
talk would have to be yielded to the experts on this, yourself and maybe anyone else that could come in. Some of the staff that are well-versed in different aspects, they could probably get involved in doing it. We're always willing to do type of outreach programs and help organizations like this. Just an informative meeting that would be just for public information with the experts speaking on what could be done. Can this committee have advisory groups or committees or whatever to them? Is that appropriate for the Beautification Committee to set up something like that? They could do what you want. Well, I haven't seen it done before by our committee, but wait a minute. We have our administrative manager here. Recording secretary. This committee was formed as an offshoot of the planning board who was created by city council. So any appointments of subcommittees would have to go through that hierarchy. You cannot create your own subcommittee. You can work with city staff to organize such an event, as Don has said. Quite often I get calls, and in fact the community development group has been attending regular meetings with realtors about developments in the city, and they'll go and speak to a group. And these are free of charge, and we just ask the group to organize the location. If that's a problem and it's a city-hosted event, we would do that. We'd have to go back and figure out if it's our event or your event or whose event. But that would be an action item out of this that you could ask Beth to look into with staff. You have a lot of resources. Well, I'm just saying that we do this. We do public speaking when we're asked to, and if this is a problem for the city, maybe it's something we want to initiate with the help of others. I don't know of any case where the city is, or I know that I get invited to speak to organizations like this, and I don't think we've ever declined anybody. It's just a scheduling matter, but we do have staff that will go and speak. But I digress a little. To answer your question, they themselves cannot create a subcommittee. You can work on things individually or as a group, but you can't appoint other people. Well, if we wanted to work on that, our committee, we could very well do that. Yes. And then see if we could go forward with that. And that would be through Beth as her liaison. Okay. Do you have any idea of experts in saltwater canal barriers that might make a presentation to the general public? There's several staff that could be. I mean, you could show a few pictures. The building department would be involved in permitting that, yeah. We could, yeah, pull together some of the right people. Refreshments. Well, I'm just trying to get people to come. I mean, that's what I would do if I was in charge, but I'm just a lowly member here. But if the city were to send out flyers. Suggestion. 
and wait for a response, and if the response is reasonable, whatever that might be, then you could organize... You mean people responding that they will attend? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, perhaps. If that's well, what would be the like. response other than that? They won't attend. Yeah. No response, they won't attend if they do respond? If they're... Not what you're saying. Good question. If, if the flyer were to say, this is when the meeting is... Yeah. We could, just, we could do, I call it in school teachings, we could do the hope for the best method. Yeah. We could have a, a presentation and it, maybe we'll get three people. You know? Mm -hmm. and, if you don't, and if you don't have the presentation for the three people, no one will ever come again. Correct. You have to start somewhere. It's like having athletic practice and only three kids show up. And you say, oh, well, there's only three of you. Go home. You can't do that. You have to have a meeting. And perhaps that will mushroom with other, other people in the, in the community. You know of anybody? Is there interest uh, in your uh, neighborhood, uh, Paul? I, I, have not, I haven't discussed with any of my neighbors, uh, except occasionally when we've been talking about them, you know, out of fill-in, or as I showed you, some of the neighbors who I gave rock materials to to fill in their walls, but uh, I don't think anyone is really aware that this issue is their responsibility. In fact, I think many of them assume it is the city yes. responsibility. I bet. So I think mm. that, that education is really the way to go, and I agree with you, especially if you have the event and the media people are there, even if just three people are hearing it, it's going to be in the observer and it's going to be elsewhere and people will learn about it that way and then over time I think the beautification committee will get a lot of credit for dealing with an issue that's very important to the people. I'm, I'm sure there'll be people who say, well gee are you telling me i got to pay for this and then you know uh, you're going to have to have an answer that you know, you're not enforcing it at this time. Um, or whatever your answer is. Sure. Uh, but uh, there would be low-cost alternatives to large-scale repairs. You would say sure. just putting the, the gravel in there and letting the them know that it's, it's yeah. not the city's responsibility. Yeah. Is, we're just here to help you out. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds like something we could work on. But you know, we'd have to be able to think about it and come up with a plan of action uh, for moving forward with this. Uh, uh, so we need an outline of steps that would have to be involved in doing this. Uh, you know, because there's a number of, we'd have to pick out the segments of what has to be done. We have to uh, think of what the Would there be are. a cost to the city? Do they have money to have these brochures mailed out? So it, it may be that we have to notify via some of the um, like next door and, and things of that nature. Um, I would have to. Um, if, I, if I may. Yes. You were talking about individual flags. You're talking approximately 1,200 parcels. Okay. On the count. There's a, there is an actual pretty high cost to printing out a flyer and mailing them out. We, we have to do it as part of our MS4 permit, and it's several thousand dollars. How about a piece of paper with a flyer? 
You still got postage? You still got paper costs? You still got printers? I don't know. I'm just... Oh, no. I'm just saying. I'm just guessing. In my department, we have to do mailers. And we don't even... We actually piggyback on the mailer you get from the utility department. You'll see one of our inserts. Okay. But wait a minute. Now, we have... Every month, we get a letter from the city in our water bill. Yes. And those 1,200 folks, they would get that also, correct? It goes to everybody. Oh, yeah. Maybe there could be some kind of a little bullet or a little section on that. And that... Because then everybody would get it. And maybe there would be other folks that are interested, too. Something like that. And that would be just piggybacked right along with everything that goes with the city newsletter. The mayor's corner and that type of thing. That's what I'm saying. That's some of the ideas we have to think of. It's against the law for us to put things in people's mailboxes. Otherwise, I think, you know, if there's 1,200, you could do 1,100. I would do 10. You know what I mean? But it's against... Paul! But it's against the law. It's against the law for people to put stuff in their mailboxes. Okay. Well, see, these are the items that we would want to think about. And if we were thinking about a little... putting a listing for that, we'd have to have everything, all our ducks in a row, so to speak, before we went forward with placing it in something as to what we're going to do, who we're going to have, when's it going to be, can we get the community center, what is all this going to take? So that would be something we need to approach and look at if we want to go forward with this. I think it's a great idea, and I think it's something that needs to be done. So what do we think? If we want to do that, then I think we would have to... everybody figure out, maybe divide it up a little bit, and everybody come back next month with something that we could look at. It doesn't have to be on a PowerPoint or anything about how we want to go forward with this. For example, what we want to say in the communication, if we can get that. Who we want to have, who can we have to visit with us. We'd have to discuss that before we would work it out. How much space fits in these envelopes? I don't recall getting it. If I may, when you're putting something like this together, the first thing you have to decide is what's the message. What information do you actually want to give to people? Because that will determine who you bring in as speakers. And it'll determine your content of the presentation. Do you want to hit multiple subjects? Do you want to hit just the minor repairs? Do you want to hit bigger repairs? Because then, okay, which staff members would be the appropriate ones? If you want to bring outside vendors, seawall contractors, or whoever to come in to speak on what it would take to do this stuff, you have to decide on what your message is first. What do you want to tell people? What do you want to hear? What kind of information? And you have to be pretty clear on that so you have that information. And an old professor of mine used to call it prepare, practice, and anticipate. You prepare by putting your content together. You actually do a dry run to make sure you got it all. And then you anticipate the questions that would come from it so that you can be prepared for anything that would come up. Because anything you put out there, somebody will come back with a question. 
Okay. You can see, you can assume yeah. that somebody will come back with a question. Okay. And just food, just food for thought when you start putting these things together. Robert. What would be more cost effective doing it here at City Hall in, in a room or at Community Center? It just depends on if the community center would be available. Mm -hmm. It's a fairly hot commodity to book yes, in there. It is. Yeah. Um, so it would just depend on that. But it's it's really <laughs> where the people are. That's true. It's right close to the, the There it is, right down the street. So that would be an item. Um, How much space in the envelope? <laughs> 200 words? I'm going to have to check in with the departments as to how we are able to kind of get any information out there. So okay. I'll have to get back to you. That's fine. Okay. You know. Okay. And we go forward with that. And back we can do that. Um, you can make a list of plants that would decorate seawalls that would help hold back the soil. Uh, I'm just thinking. That's I'm not all. sure this would be helpful right now, but um, Jordan may be familiar. We're doing an insert in the utility bill for um, floodplain. Mm -hmm. And depending on the size of the insert determines how much cost. So the floodplain was multi-page. Mm -hmm. It was in color. It had glossy paper. Glossy paper. It was fairly expensive. It went to every resident. Um, when you factor in the cost of the printing, you also have to factor in the cost of increased postage mm -hmm. if that envelope is now heavier. And folding. So, and folding and all those things. So roughly it was, I think, $4,000 for that Gosh. insert. 4000 So we print it and insert it. That was a multi-page colored document in gloss. So we're not talking that. No, we're talking about our, one page. Our, well, again, our option may be some of the social media outlets and not so much a mail. Yeah. So next door, Facebook, um, that route of um, letting people know as opposed to. The Observer gets a lot of attention and uh, you know, the printed free paper, besides the Daytona paper, um, most of us did. So I, I think, you know, it might be good as this test case, so to speak, this dry run, uh, pardon the pun, but it seems like uh, on this issue, the best thing to do is to possibly just do a small one getting the community center and, and finding a date that's available and then and, and then see how it goes and then how you can improve for the next one because it's not a, a one-time issue. It's a continuing dilemma. People don't know whether to let the grass grow over the, the seawalls, the bulkheads, or, or to stop it right there. Well, you hear different things. It would be great just to have questions and answers and maybe the way you get feedback as you're suggesting is to ask people to send their questions in beforehand so that the staff can be prepared to sure. That is all. But, but just, as, just as Glenn had said, that perhaps maybe the first meeting there would be a small group, right. but the word would get out. Exactly. So if there was a, a follow-up to it, it might be uh, much more participation. Well, I might be concerned with this. 
we we would have to think these items through. So, uh, Beth, you can look into that on yes. the uh, and and what we could do, and we have to uh, we have to think of a message. Just as Mr. Schrager has just said, uh, what what is the message that we would want the meeting to be? Uh, is that correct? What, what yeah, we, that is the top. I think to his point, if you start putting feelers out for to try to gain interest, if people, if you ask for questions, then you can actually tailor your message to what people want to know. You know, people can send you their questions. Now you know what what they're looking for answers for. Right. So. Can't the city just uh, take one of their inkjet printers and make a, a page and print on both sides? Somebody fold them up and stick them in the envelope? 1,200? You know, 1,200 is not a big deal. No. I'll tell you how we do it. I taught American school. I made yeah. 1,200 for my class. I'll tell you how we do it with the American Legion. We do a, um, uh, every other month we do a newsletter. And we do the folding ourselves. We can have a folding party and you get about six or seven People here, and you're folding them. It doesn't take you long at all to do that. We have. We're talking about postage. Well, postage is a bulk. You use bulk uh, stamp. Do you have a? You have that? A, a bulk no. postage? You do you no. not? Oh. Why not? <laughs> wow! I mean, really? Okay. <laughs> Can't believe that. I had a little bonsai group, and we had bulk. Um, Mailing. We got to go with what, so, what we yeah. have. But, so maybe the better idea is to put a, a notice when they get the water bill. That would be, uh, we wouldn't, that wouldn't be a lot of... Let's brainstorm this and hmm? come back in the next meeting mm -hmm. with okay, specific but, and, uh, questions. We want to make, we're just talking about the salt water canals now, right? We're just going to keep it to the salt water, otherwise you open it up and it gets too big, maybe. Well, it might be a future event for the, but I think uh, we, we would need to uh, keep it you know, as to one or the other. Mm -hmm. I think maybe we're, we're, since we're talking about the saltwater canal, and there are issues with that, we can uh, and we we do have folks on the staff that can come and give a, a, a presentation and talk about what can be done, what should be done, and that there is no uh, zone, uh, not zone code uh, violations or anything. That there, nobody's going to be uh, finding anybody or anything of that nature. Just uh, go ahead and, and uh, see what you can do. You know, once you determine your message and what you're trying to get out there, that would better dictate what staff can okay. best answer those questions. Okay. So, so is that the brainstorming, the message? We throw on my motion. Okay. Just <laughs> for the recording <coughs> secretary, me say that. I didn't. Formal okay, good. Then I don't have to withdraw. Motion's been withdrawn, whatever it is, and we'll just think about it, brainstorm it, and uh, let's come back next month and and have a big discussion on this to see where we can go, and let's then we'll keep it moving for uh, for time goes forward. Beth, you can look into the things that we talked about, yes. and maybe we can. Uh, find out who some of the people, what they could come in and speak on, and uh, see if we can put something together as we go forward. I think that's a worthy. What do you think, Bob? Like it? I just had a uh, thought here that with if we could get this room back, 
that this might not be a bad place to have it as part of one of our meetings. You mean have the have it right here at, our, at one of our monthly meetings? Mm -hmm. Well, we have to say that is that is here. Uh, we have to advertise the this meeting. Center, don't, we? More, uh, don't we have to advertise this meeting? It is advertised. Right. It's advertised every month. And if we advertise it, can we advertise it and say today that this month meeting we're going to talk about saltwater cow canal bulkheads? See who shows up. If wherever you hold it, I'd sure make sure you have the message straight because that might turn out the crowd that says, "Oh, this is another effort to tax us." Uh, which just happened several months ago. Um, there's some rumor going around that there was an effort just to tax the C-section mm. and there was not going to be any commensurate improvement in public services or whatever. That was what the rumor was. I have no idea whether there was any basis for that. Maybe the staff mm. heard about that, but uh, it's, I, I think the, the, wherever you hold it, it's very critical you get that message and that you make it clear as educational. Just the public information. And, uh, yeah. yeah. If you just put out a blanket statement that you're gonna you're gonna hold a meeting about bulkheads on saltwater canals, you will get a myriad of people that will come up and in in some cases you will get the people that just want their five minutes to to speak okay. with their specific issues and not, yeah. not be there for the educational part. No, that would be okay. Just get the word out. We have to think about the sources that we could do, like you had spoken of the internet sources that would be available. That's something also, so we could look into that. So why don't we, everybody, think about that, and let's 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 all have something a thought on that for next month. Was that okay. does that sound good? Yeah, think of a message that we would. Yeah, the message. Everybody, the think message of the message. We'll put it together. Pass out. And, and Paul, you could uh, send me uh, input on that uh, uh, if you'd like to and help us uh, uh, participate in this as much as you'd like. And not to worry about the length of the message at the moment. We're just going to do. Right. We just call it brainstorming. Right. Write down whatever you think. Right. Not a 10 page uh, article, but uh, something that where we can make the message that would be. Uh, Bobby Bulkhead. That's what it is. Bobby Bulkhead, how to fix your saltwater canal. <laughs> okay. It's that would be like Barbara Bulkhead. A little dolphin. No, Garfield Bulkhead. Garfield Bulkhead. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to think of letters there. Okay. All right. Well, okay, we let's, uh, let's, let's leave this item. Now, wait a minute. Let's, we have more. I think we got, got another, uh, I've got some more slides here I wanted to show. Okay. Uh, there was some more on the end of that. Uh, oh. But uh, there is a couple more that we need, wanted to go through. Okay. Okay. There we go. More. So this is another one that I we were, we've been just talking about: a nutrient traps, gaining organic matter. We just went through all this native wildlife, bottom dwelling. Funded newly constructed canals. That's, there's a lot of uh, the fish were in there, but then 
things have happened and it's uh, a lot less. So let's just rapidly go through this and the next one. So I, I thought of two little solutions that we could do for both of the areas. So I call them grand solutions or small positive steps or one small step for a man. Or the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Uh, freshwater canals. Uh, one of the that was one of the things that in fact there was a, a uh, article in the uh, the newspaper uh, regarding that uh, uh, on uh, in the Sunday uh, paper I think it was no Monday uh, the twenty fourth uh, of the news journal about healthy environment by making the right landscape decisions and landscaping choices and what it spoke about was what I have here that instead of allowing the and this is what we had talked about last month with the freshwater canals instead of allowing the uh, uh, homeowner to clear and grass in all the way to the water's edge we to create a line from the water's edge up where the landowner can clear the brush but has to plant an attractive water's edge plant uh, of, of uh, water edge vegetation instead of that doesn't require fertilizing or mowing. You sort of have that, right, Robin? Yes, yes. Um, the town keeps coming through and mowing it down. I haven't done anything. It's natural. Yeah. But they keep coming through and clearing it out. Where, where do you live? Off of Bud Hollow. So you're talking about one of our freshwater canals. I actually probably talking because it's going to be a ditch line. On a canal. Well, I call it a canal, but right. I mean, uh, there's turtles in it and all sorts sure. of stuff. Yeah. Just, just to clarify, there, there we have three different types of conveyance systems. Uh, everybody knows what a swale is. Swales go to ditches, which generally go between two homes, mm -hmm. uh, perpendicular, and which we have 177 miles of ditches, and then we have ditches going to canals. They all basically serve the same function. The only reason some are canals and some are the, the, distinct, the distinguishing feature between ditches and canals, our canals all have names. Our ditches do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. All of our, all of our canals well, have names. I have a ditch to the, to the left of my property. I have an a mm -hmm. empty lot and then a ditch. And then behind me, I have a large may have a ditch behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, as well. Uh, without knowing exactly where your house is. But, um, we go through and part of let me back up. We deal with maintenance of all three in three different ways, in different ways. Uh, everybody's seen what we do for swale maintenance. Ditches we mow on a rotation and we keep them free of vegetation so that they, we mow them for function. We don't mow them for aesthetics. We just keep them open so they function when we need them to function. And canals, we don't do anything under the, the embankments unless we have to. And we just treat the water, the vegetation, the water. So, three very similar features treated three different ways, just depending on what their function for us is. When we, we approach uh, maintenance as a functional requirement, we, want, we need to make sure that the system functions. So when you say they come and mow it, yes, on a regular schedule they will they will mow as much as they can um, of, a di of every ditch line that we have. 
just to make sure that it doesn't grow in and it still functions when, when we need it to. Well, I, I, I realize that because the water has to flow when you have, especially when you have storms. Yes. But they did it so hard on the other side that there's nothing over there. And behind the fire station is the other, and I'm in the beginning of Bun Hollow. Okay. Um, that they went so close to the, the line over there that the large trees have, have been falling. <laughs> yes. 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 I think I'm, somebody might have called somebody about that, but not me, but yeah. So, I mean, they didn't just mow. They, I mean, my neighbor stopped them because they ended up picking up a turtle. And she happened to be out there, and they stopped the process and got the turtle. And um, mm. We have had issues like that happen. <laughs> uh, having been in those, some of the, the equipment they've used, it's extremely hard to see a turtle with spinning. Yeah, oh, sure. <laughs> so, oh, sure. Yeah, it's never done intentionally. Yeah. Uh, we, we take great care not to do something like that. Okay. Um, we are doing a lot of um, regrading of our ditch lines. Some of our ditch lines have filled in over the years. So we have new equipment and manpower to open them up so they'll function better. So besides, you probably have seen the prison crews that go down and just take weed whackers and clean all the vegetation up. We're actually bringing equipment in and digging them out mm -hmm. so that they're, we're putting them back to their original design profile so that they work the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be really messy and really intrusive. Well, you can hear it all of a sudden. You'll be in the house, it's quiet, and it's like everything starts shaking. You're like, oh, here they are again. That, that was probably them regrading yeah, something. The big, yeah. 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 Wow. Just funny point that part of, part of when they regrade these, a lot of times they will take down trees that are grown in the middle of them mm -hmm. or up the embankments. We had uh, a former employee just bought a house, just built a house. It was beautiful up back in the winter. Like, they took down all the trees in the backyard. It wasn't that cool. But it, it, in, in, but in fact, point of fact, it's not his property. It's just behind his property. Yeah. It's still in the city. You know, it's still the city's property, and we had to take the trees down to actually get the, the ditch back to the way it was supposed to be. Because they just nobody cut the trees down for forty years, so it looked like a jungle back there. Yeah. Right. See that? Okay. Don, okay. if you could, because our prior presentation kind of addressed the clearing on um, our property behind residential lots. If you could speak on that a little bit so it's... I didn't see the presentation. Would you like to come through the presentation? We can actually go through it. Um, there's, there's, I, wait a second. If we're, we don't want to go back to that? I, 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 I just said, just serve a fresh air piece. Yeah. She, Beth had actually sent me all your presentation oh. prior to this, so I could... Uh, yeah, well, I, there was another item I wanted to speak on. on oh, that. okay. Uh, the, the one below it on the saltwater canal. To ask you about that, I guess I could just uh, sure. mention it. What what we noticed in in our uh, boat ride was that on some of the uh, uh, homes, the streets where they uh, come down to a cul-de-sac in that borders the canal, the drainage yes. pipe runs straight into. The canal. So what? That's what I talked about. What I said on the last second bullet there was for small steps would be somehow to divert that to prevent the oil and the and the gas and the red street residue from running straight into the canal. That was one of the small step ideas that I think could 
have a big impact on clearing up those canals. What do you think on that? You're 100% correct. In the C-section, predominantly, is where it's most noticeable that we have the street has to drain somewhere. So the swales go down to, if we don't have a ditch line in the way, it goes down to a catch basin and pipe out to some kind of drainage feature. In this case, it would be the saltwater canals. We've discussed this very much so. And there is no simple solution. Because it all comes down to a very simple question. You're right. It should go somewhere else. When we have a new development come in, all of the drainage from their street has to go into a lake before it pops off into our system. So it ends up going into a lake. It can get treated. And then when the water gets high enough during a rain event, the water will then pop off into our system. So their water is technically clean when it enters into our system. If you take the C-section, where do we put the water? It sounds like a fundamentally simple question. Where do you put the water to treat it before it goes into the canal? There's two houses and the pipe goes down between the two houses. And when the city was designed, there wasn't the regulation we have now. Even at the state level, we didn't have the regulation for water quality. So we were talking 40 years ago, 40-some-odd years ago. If we knew then what we know now, they probably never would have designed it this way. But they did. And so what do you do with it now? Because to drain a whole street, you need a lake. You go into any of these new communities that have come up, popped up and around, they have very large lakes in them. And it's just to serve their little community because it's a lot of water. So we've talked about treatment methods. There are treatment options where you can put inserts inside the catch basin and treat them. Excessively expensive because once it gathers all the stuff, you can't just throw them in the trash. So that would be like the special tax assessment for the C-section. I've heard that rumor. I have no idea where it came from. But I had actually heard that. I had heard that about a week ago. And I'm not sure. It seemed to die down, but it was in next door. I don't know where it came from. As I understand it, another rumor is the city pumps raw sewage into the canal. We better not be here. Somebody's going to jail. The only time we have waste, sewage, that gets out of our system is if we have excessive rainfall in the system. It's called infiltration. Stormwater gets into the sewer system. If you get water in the road, the manhole's there and water is in the manhole. It takes up the volume for the sewerage and it overwhelms the system and it will overflow. This is when you see water coming up out of the manhole. There's too much water in the system, so it overflows. When that happens, there are containment protocols that they do and cleanup protocols that they do. So during a heavy rain event, you'll see pump trucks driving around. And they go to the lift stations, they go to the manholes, 
where we know this stuff happens. In peptides. In peptides. Well, when we lose power, we actually go pump out peptides. I know, and I love you for that. It's no fun for those of us who have done it once or twice. Because your pep tank is its own little grinding station and then pushes out to the sanitary city system. If you don't have power, you can't pump your tank out. So we pump it out, or we hook power up to it and send it into the sewer system. But if there's too much water in the system, they actually have tanker trucks come around and go, and all of your sewer goes into a lift station somewhere. I've seen it. They have a lift station up the street from me. So when we have heavy rains, you'll see pump trucks. I get it. It's important to do that. They're not going to put it down on purpose into the canals. That's something. I watched that rumor. It's absolutely a biomedical concern. It's one of those things maybe you might study in your upcoming efforts to advise for the location. Because it is a problem, and I'm not sure. One of the issues also seems to be to cut out the swells so that water flows faster rather than leaving the grass areas so the water is absorbed in the ground. And that might help reduce the amount of water that comes into the system and even filter it, as you were talking about before. Swales are very complex. For something so simple, it's a very complex issue. It has to do a lot with groundwater, soil profile, C-section. As a matter of fact, we were dealing with one that was having a lot of trouble draining, and it turns out there's clay about three feet down, so the water doesn't burn. So we have a street that's muddy all the time, and there's really nothing we can do about it because water will not percolate through clay. And I've had the discussion of why don't we just dig them deeper. Deeper you dig them. If you have two inches of water in your swale now, when you dig it deeper, the water level never moves. You just made six inches of water. And what I'm suggesting is that part of that vegetation issue is leaving the vegetation there rather than cutting them, channelizing them. Sure. We actually did the complete opposite of what you're saying. We just tried something in an area that we consider wet swales, where it has water in the swales almost all year long. The bottom of the swale is actually lower than the water table. So it's always got water in it, and it's always flowing. Every time we'd go out and regrade it, we would sod the whole thing. What happens is sod dies, and it rots, and it creates algae, and it stinks, and it grows other vegetation. So we just regraded an area, and what we did is sod it down to the water line and left bare dirt. Now there's nothing to rot. There's nothing to cause algae. Because if you plant anything in it, the only thing that will grow in those environments are aquatic vegetation, and they tend to build up when they stack up. And now they interfere with the flow of the water in the swale. There's several streets where you have aquatic vegetation that is completely filled in swales, so when it rains, the water goes out into the road. And we actually go and just dig the aquatic vegetation out because it grows in mats, and it won't let water pass through. So for something that sounds very simple, like a front swale, 
it, it's a very complex issue because with 560 some odd miles of roads and 1200 miles of swales, uh, we have a bunch of different environments. And when you're talking about getting water, it usually comes out about getting water out faster. Um, the average fall, average line of Palm Coast is 80 feet. There's about an inch of fall from property line to property line. And we don't have elevation here. We don't have hills. So we can't even make it more fall. We can't grade any farther down. We can't make it any steeper because we just, you go down any farther and you have water and you make the problem worse. So uh, we keep trying new things. We're always trying new things. And uh, sometimes we, we run out of things to do. We run out of things to try. And it's just kind of point of factor living in Florida. Uh, well, one thing we did find, and kind of to your point, uh, we had a swell problem up in the W section, the north end of the W section, northwest side. We went through and cleaned out a ditch line that had never been cleaned before. It looked like a vacant lot. Uh, it was a very big, very well-defined ditch, but trees and everything else had grown in it. We cleaned it all the way out. All the soils in the upper part of that neighborhood dried up. Because we took it down to where it was supposed to be, we were taking two and three feet of sediment out of the out of the ditch. So if we dig out the ditch, it drains the swales off. And if we clean the canals, it drains the ditches off. So we start big picture, start working downhill. And if everything works downhill, everything uphill works as well. So it's, it becomes a very complicated process. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's go to this real quick. Sure. <laughs> We're dealing with a lot of topics. This is a lot that was cleared. Uh, uh, actually, this was not the... Uh, the lot was cleared to just about where that palm tree is on the right-hand side. That was where the surveyors had staked out the back corners. The property owner came in and did the rest of this. Yes. So what was there before was what you see in the background. Yes. The whole lot looked like this. It looked like that back there, right. It was cleared and you're right. The property lines were right around here somewhere. Right around there. Um, and our... We're here down because I should see the car. Right. And one of the discussions I always have is we're like any other neighbor. It's our property. You wouldn't go onto your neighbor's property and clear their lot. So you can't just cross over your property line and do work on our property. We are the stewards of it. It's public property, but we are the stewards of it. When people do this, or when people clear their lots and they have this, and it's all natural. We have no issue with somebody coming in and taking the dead fall out. You want to clear the vines out. You want to do stuff by hand. What we don't want is all these little trees. There's not a single stump in here. They root rake everything out. This is just dirt. First time it rains, this is just going to start washing into the canal. Yeah, and, and then the, the, with the corresponding issue of when they grass it all in, the fertilizers, the mowing and the clippings and the fertilizers and possibly pesticides will be washing right into the canal also. And we looked at that last month where we showed that particular canal, in fact it's back some slides on this presentation of the 
algae starting to grow there, and then back some more to where the next slide, uh, uh, there, that mm -hmm. slide, where it was oddly, full. Oddly enough, when I saw that picture. That's the Bel Air Canal, I think is what it's called. Uh, it? Bel Air Waterway. And we, we would be standing on Bird of Paradise, and right. it's being built right here. Right, right there. I'll that's, tell you, I'm, I'm aware of, I that's saw the location. picture, I knew exactly what house it was, because yeah. inspectors have already been out there and said, you're going to have to replant that embankment. Oh, this is nice to hear. Yes. Okay, hey. Not with grass. Yes. Actually. Yes, I'm preparing a list of the acceptable material that... Um, it just... Okay. It just so happened, you picked up, like, one of the few houses that this doesn't happen a lot. Um, but it does sort of does in, in my neighborhood. Why don't we go to the next presentation? It was a short one. I, it's got some plants on there. Perhaps you can look at those. I, it was yeah, a, just a short list. Because we, we actually... Here it is. These are freshwater canal vegetation. Yeah. I had two groups, water edge and bank slope. Go ahead. Go, let's go to the first one. first one is the arrowhead. It grows right on the water's edge. Uh, and it's, it's a showy plant. Uh, uh, the next one... Uh, this is very beautiful. Most of these will not do anything to stabilize the slope. And that's our concern. When you strip the bank like that, yes. it's, it's not stable anymore. When it rains, it will actually erode into the canal. Okay, like these are water edge. So yes. the, one, the next one is water edge pickerel yep. weed. The next one, this is a bank slope zone. It's the African iris. It grows in a more drier, but can be wet occasionally, so it can run out. Now this one should be helping for stable, some stabilization. Sure. And then you can buy this. This is another one, this blue quarter weed. Uh, it's a, these are showy little plants that would be nice as an addition. This is Florida gamma grass. And then the last one is uh, the passion vine, uh, the passion flower. Those are all plants that uh, would, I think, would stabilize a, a bank. Uh, wouldn't you say? She's our expert. Yeah. <laughs> All we know is we don't we don't want this was this was in the facade. This these plants, by the way, are contained in the IFAS uh, UF uh, IFAS publication. I just picked out the ones that I was somewhat familiar with uh, on their list of plants. That that's where I took this uh, reference from. But anyway, uh, that's some things we can look at the house life. Just to, just to clarify, and I think it's important. I I think there's a lot of misinformation about this. When somebody buys a house on a canal lot, um, typically it's just what you see in that that picture. There's a couple Their property ones. stops basically at the top of the bank. And then the right of way for the, the canal is there. You can clear right up to your property line. And this is all supposed to stay natural. And like I said, if you want to go through and clean it up and make it a little more nice, if you can do it by whatever you want to do by hand, we're okay with it. If you want, you can actually apply for a uh, right-of-way beautification permit, and it allows you to cut a 20-foot swatch, and you can clear it like this through. It's generally used for access if you put a dock on a, on a canal. It gives you clean access to your dock. I got one of those in my boat, my house. 
We do have instances where people's property lines are halfway down the slope or even at the water's edge. And like a ditch next to your house, we have people that, uh, we have areas that the ditches hold wholly on other people's property and we just have an easement over. So you know, the people's property line is the center line of the ditch and we just have whatever the appropriate uh, amount of easement is. And in this case, if they, if they were halfway down, we would have probably a 30 foot easement in the back. And you can clean it up, put it up, whatever you want. Uh, but it always comes with the disclaimer if the city has to go back there, it's there for us to be able to go in and do maintenance on this. I just happen to know this house specifically. I was part of the, the team that actually built this structure. So when I saw this picture, I'm like, actually, when I saw the construction, when I heard about the construction, I know where the property line is. <laughs> what's, the, what's the ground thing? Aware? This? Yeah, this is actually a water control structure we put in about six years ago. Yeah. And, and what happened? Replace the older one. Uh, yeah. It would release the water when, it, when you have a problem? Does everybody know where this is? Does this stay where it is or does this move this piece of equipment? That stays. Okay. This is part of Paradise Drive. <laughs> and when you come off of Beltaire, this is the straightaway. This right. is Birchwood. Until you, <laughs> before you go around the corner to the lake. And you, at that point, you can see to the north, you can see the canal, and to the south, you can see the canal. They're actually two separate systems. And most people don't notice there's about a four to six foot difference yep. in elevation. The this size also. Yes, this is an incredibly large system. This waterway, everything goes to the north. It goes all the way up, all the way through, up around London Drive, all the way up to Matanzas, all the way up and around as far from the farthest point in Palm Coast you can. Comes back around and then ends up at Hewlett Ranch. Goes on the US one up the Eagle Branch. But it takes all of that, so half of the B section, all of the L section, everything drains out there. So when we have a storm or something and we need to release some water, we can open this up and drain it into the lower system and get some of the water out of there faster. It helps us drain it out. Because if we just open the one, we have a water control structure up on London Drive at the north end of this, we open up that one, it'll take about three weeks to drop couple of inches. We open up both of them in about a week we can drop about six inches. It's just a massive amount of water. And it happened uh, with the with the preparation for Dorian, I believe yes. it was. We I, I was looking, I couldn't believe the, the level of water yeah. went down. Yes. On the other side, there's uh, a canal also on the other side of Birchwood, uh, not this side, the other going down, yeah. there's another of your water structures, and there's an open area there, and that was just just dry, not dry, but it was just so low. I've never seen it like that. We 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 do that in preparation for the storm. As soon as we know a storm's coming, yeah, we will start because like this system takes weeks to to drain to drain a significant amount. So we have all those systems that we open 24 hours in advance because we can drop three feet of water in 24 hours. We, have others. We, we know over time, we've learned how long it takes. So there's another one down at, uh, uh, right by Pine Lakes and Belterre. Yes. Is that one that can be drained fast, or is that one that takes That one can actually be drained fast, that, the, that one by Mother Street Church? Yes. Yeah, right across the street. That one basically does that end of Pine Lakes. You follow Pine Lakes up and around, up to Pompos Parkway. The canal you drive over at Pompos Parkway is the extension of that one. 
and then it goes under US-1 all the way up to the railroad tracks. So it's not a very large system at all. If we open that up, we can drain, we can drain a significant amount in like a day or two. Now, follow it down, everything drained, all of those drained down to Royal Palms. Uh, just before you get to town center, there's a very large structure down there. We opened that up, I think, as soon as we heard Dorian was coming, and uh, we had it open constantly. But because everything else feeds into it, and we're draining everything else into it, that canal never dropped more than, I think, four inches. And, and it was wide open for two weeks, or a week and a half, something like that. Wow. Okay. Well, that's. Uh, so, yeah, that's I mean, good. does that does that answer questions about like property on freshwater canals? It gets a little sticky because it's not as clear cut. Saltwater canals. Your property line ends at your bulkhead. Okay, definite where it is. Just as a final note, would you repeat again what the is the action that the city is requiring this homeowner to do at this time, since they did do that clearing and they shouldn't have. Is they, what you're saying? They are going to replant that and that kind. Replant in. What are they replanting? What, what is the? We'll provide them oh, acceptable oh. options that they can, you know, choose from. I mean, it's not just grassing, no. the sodding grass, in no. the lawn. Plants. Okay, it's native, like some native vegetation yes. type of thing. Yeah. Okay. And the thing is, we found it early, and yeah. the builder has actually been contacted. He's aware of it, and he's going to take care of it because we would not allow them to see out this house until it starts. Okay. So that, that's good. When you talk about enforcement, that's the enforcement. Because you would need to fix this before we would approve your, your stormwater and engineering final. So if we here would see a home uh, like this being built on, on a freshwater canal in our neighborhood, and we've seen that they, they've cleared at first initially to the flags, which are most often that I have seen yes. in this neighborhood, it's my neighborhood, I live right mm -hmm. down Birchwood there. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, they, they cleared it there, and then afterward is when either a homeowner or they hire someone to come in and do yes. this, what happened here. Uh, we could call that into the city, is that correct? Yes, uh, we can call customer service. We have people and, call all the time. Uh, with concerns about new construction or somebody doing something that they know is... And someone from the city would come out, would this be a code enforcement officer? No, nope. it's going to be one of my guys. Um, okay. Not everything needs to be a code action. A lot of times it's people not knowing. So my guys do a lot of, like I said, my guys do a lot of education, one-on-one -on -one education with people. And sometimes they explain things to people and they're like, okay, I didn't know. Some people right, will go in and think that it's their property all the way down the water. They don't know. Now they don't have a, the realty agents don't mention they're not they're not mentioning this right it's just they're not telling the uh, yeah they're not telling the homeowner that oh it's all right you can just clear all the way down there officially I can't speak for real <laughs> well there we go <laughs> okay on that note uh, I think we've discussed this uh, pretty much uh, anybody want to anything else uh, Don uh, this is actually what we don't want. Yeah. Because they've sawed it all, they've grass all the way down. Right. You know, the fertilizing all the way down. Yep. That algae is caused by the fertilizer. Yep, there's the algae. You, and we you can go down a freshwater canal and you can tell who's fertilizing your yard because there's typically algae problems on it. Because once you mow and they put it in the, the lawn clipping,
clippings. Yes. You drop loaded clippings in a freshwater canal in the right environment, in two days you're going to get out. So the point is, once it's done, it's too late. Is that correct? I mean, these, these homes have been there for 15 years. Yeah, the older homes, yeah. almost all of them did it. Yeah. We deal now with more with new home construction, we go, and we have those arguments. Yeah. See so, how yeah, somebody's building a new home, we're telling them you can't clean it out of the water. But my neighbor on the other side does. Right. I, I hear you. You know, it, it puts us in a, in a hard situation, but we follow we follow our rules, and that's just the way it is. Okay. I'm not everybody's friend. So. <laughs> I sound pretty good. Uh, okay. Uh, any any other thoughts? Are we I think we've gone through this a lot. Uh, why don't we move on and just go to the climate change update now? Uh, I've got a pile of uh, thanks to all the members here for bringing all these oh, the uh, these articles uh, on some of the uh, information that's been. Or to, uh, put out on the media on uh, climate change, and it's quite a few, uh, such as this story about the methane uh, emissions have been way underrated for a long time, and they're saying that methane in the atmosphere is actually more of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. That's one story. There's a number of them. Uh, that was one of them that I have bought, but another one that I had that uh, I, I got from the, uh, it was the Sunday, uh, I, well, it was a Sunday edition, February 9th in the New York Times, Antarctica, the uh, ex uh, experimental stations that are in Antarctica that have been there for 120 years, they recorded the highest temperature ever for Antarctica. 64.9 degrees in Antarctica. So never before had it gotten that uh, that high. That was just uh, just recently that this was uh, reported. So it's uh, I think it, it's true that the climate change is going on. Something's happening. It appears to be warming. Uh, I, I I I think we should just talk about our report next month, bring it for next month's meeting because we spent a lot of time here dealing with this. But what I, one thing I would like us to think about and I've been thinking about is what do we want to do, where we want to go with that report from now? You know, we, we spent a lot of time on that last year and I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I, we had a, 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 I think a great reception uh, by the planning board. We were all there for the meeting. Uh, uh, I think they 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 liked it. Uh, they liked what they heard. So I, I'm I've been trying to think of of where we're going to take it from here. Where where do we want to go with that report from here? So uh, maybe we could think about that. Everybody, then another thing to put down on your list to think about okay. over this month, and let's come back next month and talk about. And I have, like I said, I have got a couple ideas that I'm working on, but I think. Uh, we can go forward with that for next month. What do you think? Okay. Is everybody good with that? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so let's let's get that. So we've gotten rid of all the old business, quite a bit, and now let's go to new business. So does anybody have any new business items? Okay, uh, seeing no one uh, uh, call for any new business items, 
about public participation. I guess, uh, Paul, you have been uh, participating uh, the entire time and brought up some great information, which we thank you for. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I appreciate your <clears throat> willingness to to uh, involve me. And, and, uh, the only issue that I would hope at some point would be uh, some sort of review of contractors totally denuding the lot when they're building and leaving no... We have a number of osprey and trees and so forth, and the lot's just... Uh, there's no... You know, these... these uh, uh, areas are amazingly. Wait a second, right there, Paul. Jordan, your environmental yes. technician. Osprey nest mm-hmm. on a lot. What has to happen? Nothing for no. the city. The only um, is for a species. Because goes. osprey is a is a protected species. It is protected from anybody, but I don't know if it's not threatened. It's not a threatened or endangered species. No, okay. The one we mostly focus on is gopher horses. Um, so we do have um, steps in place. We have lots flagged in our permitting system. So when they come in for a permit and they are flagged, um, they have to do a gopher tortoise survey and either relocate them or prove that there's no gopher tortoise on the lot. Um, so that's our, our main focus. Um, the, main, the way we flag lots is either all my, me, myself, or any city employee will see a gopher tortoise, they'll let me know. I'll put a note in our system where we get calls from uh, citizens letting us know that there are gopher tortoise in the area, and then I'm able to flag those lots um, in our system to make sure that they do get the proper surveys. Um, but we can't know everywhere in the city, so we really do depend on our citizens and um, other staff who just happen to see gopher tortoises around. But that's, that's our main one. What it seems to me is the city of trees, which we like to think we are, um, <clears throat> we're not we're not retaining a lot of these great specimen trees. The large uh, large overstory trees is true, but you see the, the, the that that we had dealt with that, Glenn, uh, uh, not maybe a couple of years ago when they went over the Chapter Eleven landscaping codes, uh, and that was There's regulations the, about the, the trees, the diameter of some of the of the trees. It was the diameter of the trees, but the fact is, the law right now, I believe, is three trees. It depends on the, the size, um, but um, I believe it's I believe it's three. Um, the issue that um, three trees have to be replanted, not remain. Correct. Yes, we encourage that they retain existing trees on the property, um, but the issue that you um, you deal with on on the residential parcels oftentimes is. Um, they're having to regrade the lot to such, such an extent um, that it's not feasible um, retaining some of the trees, um, you know, depending upon the size of the house and then getting, getting the site regraded. So um, there is a concession in the code um, that, that addresses that, and that's, um, that's what is allowing... Um, you know, most of this clearing, so, um, but it, it is encouraged to do get credit, um, you know, for what you say, so if, if you can save a tree and, um, it, it saves on your costs and on what you have to replant on the site, so. Um, that's where we're at right now, uh, but <clears throat> your thoughts would be greatly appreciated. 
But why don't we go forward? That was public participation. Discussion of matters not on the agenda. Just one point of information. We were just talking about the Osprey. The Eagles have not come back to the nest at Princess Place. For the first time in a lot of years, there's no eagle on the nest. Oh, wow. That's very disturbing because they do come back to the same nest. It's not like many birds build a different nest, but the eagle is not one that does that. They didn't make it back this year, so we don't know what happened. That's not good news. I thought they had come back and during one of the storms had blown the tree down. No. The nest tree, the nest is still there? Yeah. Oh, okay, wow. Well, that is an item. We looked at that with one of the presentations from a little while back about the fact that bird populations, as I called it, the canary in the coal mine, they have just had huge jumps in numbers of individuals and numbers of species have been really hit. Today in my backyard, I finally saw a male red-winged blackbird. That's one of the species that have been especially hit. I used to see the males and the females with just big groups of blackbirds, grackles, coming in, and cowbirds. Cowbirds have not seen any, but today I saw a male red-winged blackbird at the feeders, and that's been the first one this entire time. There used to be a lot more. They're one of the species that's really been hit. Well, do you think it's because of climate change or the fact that we're growing so large and destroying? That, I think, is number one, habitat loss, but the climate change is an item that can do that, too. It can alter the environment. You told the people there's not going to be any moratorium. It's a dirty word. Well, there won't be a moratorium on development. That's for sure. It's been moving right along. Just dollar stores. Okay. All right. Anyway, on that matter, any other items not on the agenda? Just a reminder, the next turtle unveiling will be March 17th at the community center at 3 p.m. I'm just making you all aware. You may have received an email about it. March 17th? Yes. At the community center? We will be sending out an email if you haven't seen it. What time was that again? 3 p.m. 3 p.m. What day of the week is that? That's a Tuesday. Tuesday. 3 p.m. Community center. Great. Wonderful. I have one more thing that I'd like to talk about. Yes, Bob. This group, when we show up for something, such as the turtle presentation, we all show up as we look like now. I belong to two other organizations. Both of them have shirts that designate them as part of that particular group. I would like to see if we can't do something for our group to all of us look the same when we show up at anything. If you would like, I'll do some research and see what is available. Or hats, too. Or caps or something. 
I like the shirt idea, but <laughs> it's a, I'm, I'm talking about well, like a golf shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Beth, what do we? What do, What does the city think about that? Or maybe uh, there. There is no budget from the city. Not so much. Okay. Well, most of okay. the organizations pay for their own shirts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Would you Would you look I'll into that? I'll do some research. I like that. I mean, I just oh. have a comment about this. Yes. Any time that you one, I'm sorry, more than one of you are together at a public we know. event, it has to be publicized. So there will be a notice in each of the facilities for the public to see. We're under the sunshine rules of the state of Florida, forbidden to talk about any um, matters that are coming before your committee, either amongst yourselves or with the public. If you do discuss a matter with the public, you must disclose that at the next meeting prior to any discussion. So you wearing a hat and a shirt is going to encourage people to come Same. up and talk right. to you about um, things that we may doing. not be publicized. That's my only caution about that. Okay, well, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I think you I might, can still look might. into that, but you need to be aware. Thank you for your comment, because the committee is going to address this in a future meeting. You're more than welcome to come and address the committee, but I cannot discuss this with sounds, you because it's not a public meeting. That's fine. Yeah, of course. Not a thing. Uh, that's not a problem. <clears throat> I, have, I have a shirt from the uh, Parks and Recreations for the county because I'm a member of that particular advisory committee. Okay. And it hasn't been a problem when we go out in different places. Uh, well, well, that might bring participation to a meeting. Sure, mm-hmm. it could. Just talk I'll about just, it. Yeah. People just get, in, get involved in and just general the, the, the committee, the advisory committee. Let's, could you get back with us on I'll, that? I'll, I'll do some talk. research and let you know cost per person. Okay. That, I think, everybody, we're, we're about finished. Uh, we've had a very good, very extensive meeting tonight, a lot of things. I'd like to, to say thank you, a big thank you to Mr. Schaefer for coming by uh, this time, and for uh, Irene and Mrs. Schaefer uh, being here uh, as uh, our permanent now uh, a new member of the, of the, the, the city group. But uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, for your time uh, this evening and for that great wealth of information. And also for Paul Pritchard, I hope he'll come back yes. as we continue on with this subject. I, I, we're going to need well, you. We'd like to see you here uh, again, Paul. You, your input was greatly appreciated. Okay, we all set that. Uh, motion to adjourn. Got a motion from Bob. Second. Second, Second by Robin. <laughs> All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Anyone opposed? Many nays. The meeting is adjourned.